And uh, I'm Dave Mitchell, and I'm going to invite uh, George Andrews. He's on his way up here as well. George, uh, y'all like to have one of these? Have a have a seat. The reason we had George up here is because one of us played in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Which one do you think it uh, would have been? Both of us. It was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait a second. Um, anyways, uh, George, you played in the Super Bowl uh, in 1980. Playing with the Los Angeles, was it the Los Angeles Rams it back was there? At the time, yes. Okay, they, these teams keep on changing. I don't understand at all. Uh, and uh, in fact, in the first quarter, you actually uh, carried the ball, didn't you? Receive the kick. I did, and I think it was the only time in my career I did that. They, <laughs> okay. they did a uh, like an onside kick where they uh, pooched the ball, and I fair caught it about ten yards away. So. All right. Well, every catch counts. Uh, retain control of the ball. Tell us, what was it like? You played in the, Ro- I was in the Rose Bowl, 103,000 people. That's just incredible. What's that like to play before that you know, many people? Been, it's been a while, so I went back and I thought about it, and there was two or three things that jumped out at me. Uh, the first one was just being a rookie, how much I was in awe of the whole, whole atmosphere and the players that I'd watched on the Steelers and the Rams growing up, uh, people that uh, like Terry Bradshaw and for us... Uh, Jack Youngblood, and, and I had a chance to be out there with him. I was totally amazed. And then there, there was a part that was a tough loss because we played well. We were actually ahead um, at the end of the third quarter. The Steelers had won three Super Bowls that, that decade, and uh, Terry Bradshaw threw two long passes at the end, and we lost 31-19. Oh, that's a killer. That's and then like- as a believer, the last thing, it was just – you know, we all have things that we look like or think about if we accomplish. And, and there was really a sense of, of, is that all there is, having done that and having grown up around football in my life? And I think that's just what God has placed in our hearts. Yeah. So you played in the big games. So George Andrews and his wife Heidi, members here at Calvary Church. And uh, that was an exciting era to be a professional athlete. There's a lot of players this morning getting ready for a big game. Yeah. What is it like? What is going on in your heart and your mind as you anticipate maybe one of the biggest platforms to uh, use your football skills? Well, obviously, you're nervous. Yeah. Uh, but then it's just a wonderful opportunity. I, you know, the thing I didn't realize until I got out of football was how stressful and competitive the whole environment is. and. You know, every guy before every game is just one injury away from having his career over because of serious injury. And then just the stress each year of uh, two or three new guys showing up uh, on the, um, in the training camp and trying to take your position away every year. Oh, so, yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's a, it's a I feel that here every Sunday yeah, at the other staff. Yeah. It's, uh, you know what it's like. Yeah, it's just, every week it's the same thing for me, too. Um, but uh, you became a Christian. Tell us about when you became a Christian, and what's it like to be a Christian athlete out there in a game? Um, I came to Christ my freshman year at the University of Nebraska. Um, I had a roommate from Big Springs, Texas, that was a quarterback on the team, and we had over 100 guys on our um, freshman football team at Nebraska. And wow. I can remember at the time, Tom was a born-again Christian. Wow. Um, and I can say, how did I get stuck if the 100 guys were the only? <laughs> the one Christian. Little did I know, you know, how God works. And, nice. and through Tom's witness that year and explaining the gospel to me, I actually gave my life to Christ my freshman year. Hmm. 
and started getting involved with campus ministries and uh, grew from then on. Mm-hmm. Is it tough to, to maintain your Christian testimony in the, in the NFL? It's, it's a difficult yeah. environment, obviously, but you know that's where you really learn about the importance of fellowship. And, mm-hmm. and we had eight or nine guys on our team that were strong Christians, and, and we needed each other because mm-hmm. you were lots of attacks from all different directions. And we had Bible studies. We had great chapel speakers. We actually met here for several years, our Bible study back in the late 70s, early 80s at Calvary. Hmm. And um, just just really learned to, to uh, grow in our faith together. Who are some of the believers on the team back in that um, day? Well, obviously, Jackie Slater, I think most everyone knows. And Doug Smith was my roommate. Uh, Rich Saul, who's since passed away. Um, Mike Barber, Jeff Kemp. Uh, Jeff Rutledge are just some of those names. Yeah, those are... At least this group will remember. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember those names. Yeah, that's exciting. And th- then you uh, moved on from uh, the NFL to become a businessman yes. as a Christian. And uh, what are some of the challenges you face? You want to be a husband, be a father, be a, a good businessman as well. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, um... I think most of us, and you, you guys will know this, that you don't realize sometimes how much your identity is wrapped up in something until, until it's taken away from you. And I, and I played football from the time I was eight years old until I was 30. And it was a tough, uh, tough time after I was released. I did have a, a career-ending knee injury in my seventh year. But it didn't, all those principles and things that I had learned through uh, Christian ministry um, came into play, and I realized my identity is in Christ. And I, for the last 28 years, have been a, a bi- with a biblically based uh, wealth management firm that helped Heidi and I when I played. Yeah, exciting. And and he, he uh, doesn't mention it. John, uh, John, Ron Blue, <laughs> Ron Blue, uh, yes. and uh, Neil Parr, one of our elders, uh, works over there as well. We appreciate the Thank work you. that uh, Ron Blue does. And the, so, as far uh, as the uh, being, it's, there's no greater joy than obviously. Uh, being a, a, a parent and learning the biblical principles of, of that and finances. So God's given us a playbook there, and through hopefully his Holy Spirit, we can all follow that. Exactly. Stewardship, biblical stewardship, yeah. that's such an important aspect. Well, today is the big game this afternoon. There's a football game this afternoon, by the way, and uh, that's why we're talking to George. Uh, you want to make a prediction about uh, who's going to win the big game today? <laughs> Put me on the spot here. You're going to lose half the people here this morning. <laughs> I think I can get them both. So. Okay. okay. Right. Um, you know, I, I, it would be wonderful if Matthew Slater got the, the opportunity yeah. to, to win a Super Bowl. So I would, I, I would like to see New England win. But how can you not root for Russell Wilson as a strong Christian quarterback? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that Russell has a great game and that New England might find a way to win. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, one thing, I, at practice for seven years, I, I pretty much hit heads with Jackie every day, and I don't want him mad at me. No, no. <laughs> well, I think Jackie's in Phoenix today, okay, so, so I think that you're safe about that. Uh, you must be running for political office the way you ever have an answer to that question. <laughs> you make everybody feel like we agree with you, so that's good. 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 Well, George, thank you for being thank here. You. Would you pray for us I and would. Uh, just uh, for our worship and for the, even the guys like Russell, Russell Wilson, yeah. Matthew, out there in the field? Father, uh, we just come before you as a body, and uh, I thank you for the opportunity these men have today to the ones that know you, that they can go out there and glorify you with the gifts that they, you have given them. And 
I pray for all of us as we go to Super Bowl parties and or just spend time with family and friends that we would be light and, and uh, salt among the people that might not know you. Father, that uh, we might use this event to further your cause and just thank you for the opportunity today that I've had this year. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thanks, George. We appreciate you and Heidi. So all the little players getting ready. There's uh, lots for them to overcome. I can't imagine getting ready to play in a big game like that. That's a lot of pressure. And there's a lot of us, though. We're, we're not, uh, probably most of us in this room will never play on an NFL team. In fact, I'm, I'm bold enough to say there's no one in this room who will ever play on an NFL team. But uh, each of us have our own challenges. It may not be the Super Bowl, uh, but it may be a marriage. It may be a parenting role. It may be a business, the lack of a job financial, health issues. There are lots of things that we have to deal with, and they're hard for us. We don't have to be in the Super Bowl to feel the kind of stress of things we need to overcome. And so we are going through a book of Judges. And in this particular book, we are learning about overcoming. And I encourage you to have your Bibles in hand. There's a Bible on the chair rack if you don't have your own Bible. In fact, if you don't have your own Bible, you can take that Bible home free of charge, guilt-free. That's yours. We want to give it to you. And we're in Judges chapter 4 and 5. The reason we look at the Old Testament and learn about it, I just want to reemphasize this verse. In Romans 15:4, we're told why the Old Testament, these stories that seem so detached, and today's story is going to seem even more detached than any story that maybe we've heard so far in the book of Judges. But Paul writes, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So Paul is referring to the Old Testament when he wrote this to the church at Romans. He says, So that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So we learn from the Old Testament stories. It gives us perseverance. It gives us encouragement. It gives us hope. We're going to find some hope about overcoming through these unexpected heroes that we're going to uh, face this morning. The book of Judges is cyclical. I want to keep on reemphasizing this. Uh, They have a relationship with God, then they sin, then they fall into some sort of a miserable condition or circumstance, and then they cry out to God. God comes and saves them. They get saved. They feel, okay, I don't need God anymore, and they fall back into sin. This is the book of Judges. It has constant rotation. In fact, almost every Sunday's message from Judges could almost be the same outline uh, because that's sort of the cyclical pattern that we want to learn from. This morning we're going to look at a woman and her role, Deborah. I'm going to read some of the text from it. You have an outline that is in the bulletin today. We encourage you to use that as well. I just want to read a little bit and make some observations and then show why this passage is important for you and for me. In Judges chapter 4... We begin to learn of the conditions of life in those days. And then the sons of Israel again, here's the cyclical thing. After he rescued them with Shamgar, uh, the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud had died. That was the previous judge. That was the judge that we had last week. And the Lord sold them into the land hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Hagarasheth Hagoyim. So this is the area, the red dots on the map, that's where we're talking about, just to help simplify it. And so they lived under his control, 
And the sons of Israel, in verse 3, cried out to the Lord, for he had 900 iron chariots. That's like having the very best jets or nuclear device that a nation can have. You tend to dominate those that you want to attack. So that was the best, the greatest tanks, whatever you might want to refer it to today. And he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for 20 years. So 20 years of oppression, persecution, and attacks. This is what God does in verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, and we don't know anything about Lipidoth, but it's the only time he ever appears in the Bible, was judging Israel at that time. And so what we learn is this is the unexpected hero. Here is a woman, Deborah, who is a prophetess who speaks forth God's words. She gets a revelation from God and she passes it on to people. But she's also a judge. She would sit there and she would rule over civil matters. If you had a problem, you go to the judge. And the judge would work out the marriage problem, the business problem. This man cheated me. He took my property. He stole from my house. Uh, we had an agreement. He didn't uphold his agreement. Whatever the thing may be, she's the judge who's superintending the legal and civil uh, matters of the day. And it's just remarkable. That's why I call her the unexpected hero for a woman to do that. We'll talk a little bit about that in a second. She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah, so she had her own tree. So, I don't know. This is kind of special for her. She named their tree Deborah. Um, between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. Not condemnation, but settle the civil matter. Uh, let's make this thing right, legally right. And now she sent and summoned Barak. Barak is the Hebrew word for blessed. So this man comes... He's like a general. And the son of Abedinom and Kedesh Naphtalia, and said to them, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. And I will draw out to you Sisera. This is Deborah saying, For God, I will draw out to you Sisera. Remember, this is the enemy who is controlling them for 20 years, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his many troops to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. Then Barak said to her, and it's kind of an interesting response to evaluate. What is he saying with this? He says, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And the question comes to mind, is this guy just being a coward and he needs the woman to protect him? Or is he saying something different, maybe more uh, faith-building, that I don't want to go unless I have the voice of God through you to me to tell me what to do? So there's a little confusion as to whether this guy's a weak faith man or and he needs a woman to hold him up, uh, or does he really believe that uh, she is the voice of God and he didn't want to go anywhere without God's voice in his heart. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor should not be yours on the journey. For you are about to take for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali together to Kadesh. And 10,000 men up, went up with him. Deborah also went up with him. Now Heber, 
the Kenite. This is a little bit of a parenthetical thing that relates to something we'll read about down in verse 17. And it says, Now Heber, the Kenite, has separated himself from the Kenites, from the sons of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak of Zanum, which is near Kadesh. And then they told Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. And Sisera called together all of his chariots, 900 into chariots, and all the people who were with him for Heroish, Hagoyim, to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabar with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed. Notice how the, notice this interplay between God and what Barak is doing, what God is doing. The Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak, and Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Herosheth Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not even one was left, but Sisera kept on running. We'll pick it up from there. Let me draw some application that comes out of that. You read a text like that and you say, Lord, I know there's something applicable here, but what is it? Let me pick some of the things that I observe that in overcoming, God uses unexpected heroes. And there's many of us in this room that God wants to use. And many of us may be those unexpected heroes that God will use if we follow the principles that he has for us in his word. First thing I noticed about this is this. Here's the take home. The unexpected heroes faithfully serve using God's gifts, responding to his calling. That's what I love about Deborah. Deborah is there. She is a prophetess. She is a judge. But those unexpected heroes, if you want to be used by God, you want to overcome whatever it is you're doing, whatever it is you need to overcome, physical, emotional, financial, whatever it may be, if you want to overcome it, the first thing that I noticed about Deborah is she's hanging tough, doing the job that God's called her to do and gifted her to do. And she did it in these circumstances. Even during difficult circumstances, she's there doing the job. Remember, 20 years Sisera is persecuting the Israelites. 20 years of persecution. Where's Deborah? Deborah sitting under the palm tree called Deborah, judging people. She's not fearful. She's not running. She's not saying, woe is me. She's not having a pity party. She's not refusing to use her gifts until God gets things right. As soon as God gets things in order, then I'll step up and be able to serve Him. She's serving Him right in the midst of the 20 years of persecution. That's what I love about this woman. That's what's so great about unexpected heroes. They are those that remain steadfast and faithful even when circumstances are hellish. And they were hellish around these people. Sisera and his 900 iron chariots are mutilating people all over this country and the northern part. And they have no consequence. They're just running free. But I love unexpected heroes who are on the job serving the Lord, not feeling sorry for themselves, but doing God's will. If you're in a bad marriage, be faithful to God's will. If you're unemployed, be faithful to God's will. If you're battling cancer, you don't have much longer to live, be faithful to God's will. 
That's what God is showing us in this text. That's why it's important. We see God's unexpected heroes faithful in terrible circumstances. Don't let them be the excuse to not follow the Lord. The other thing that I noticed that even in the face of possible prejudice, that Deborah prophetess, it doesn't say that anybody was prejudiced against Deborah in this passage. But we know one thing, in the Middle East, women are not highly exalted, right? We, even this last week, Michelle Obama is over there in Saudi Arabia. And what was the big discussion that came out of the meeting in Saudi Arabia? She didn't have a covering on her head. She was just standing there like an American woman would stand anywhere in America. That was the big discussion. Was she, was she properly dressed in the midst of these, um, you know, Arabs, these kings? Because in the Middle East, women can't drive a car. They can't be out there without a man. There's this kind of persecution. That goes, and this is not just today, back then. There's a story that comes later in the book of Judges where one of the ruthless warriors is battling a city. And he goes to attack the city. And in the tower, at the top of the tower where people would congregate to find refuge, they had a woman at the top of this tower. And as this man attacked the tower, this woman throws a stone out the tower and it falls and it hits this ruthless leader on the head and wounds him mortally. But then he tells to his uh, little side a kick who was uh, his, one of his military support people, he says, you kill me because I don't want it to be said that a woman killed me. So even in death, he's dying and he's more concerned about, not so concerned about the fact that he's dying, he's more concerned about the fact that a woman may have killed him. Well, that's what you call prejudice against women. And fortunately, we don't have to worry about that here. I don't think there's any woman that wants to kill any man in this room today. And so we think we're in pretty good safe grounds about that. The point is, women have often been persecuted through the years. There have been eras where that is taking place. And so I wrote up a little thing in today's bulletin. I'm not going to go through it, but just by way of practical application, because Deborah is the woman in charge, I wanted to show you what some of the things are that Scripture teaches us about the role of women. Because I don't want there to be prejudice against the women in our congregation, the women who are on our staff. I don't want them to be belittled. I don't want them to be uh, undermined. And so I wanted to show you on the role of women in Scripture uh, that there are a lot of women. I couldn't even list them all in here. I had to delete some of them because of the space. But notice all the women that God has used through the years. And then I have some insights that come from Scripture, some questions and some answers. I encourage you to take a look at that. And another time we can uh, spend more time on that. But I just wanted to show you by way of application that God has gifted and called all of us, women and men, and each of us need to be found faithful in executing that calling. And none of us should be biased against anyone simply because they are a man or a woman or whatever their uh, orient, ethnic orientation may be. And so we want to have that kind of a standing. That's an application that comes out, I believe, Roman, uh, Judges 4, based on Romans 15, 4. Be found faithful in doing God's work. Second thing I noticed about this passage is that unexpected heroes, they listen to the voice of God and then empower people around them to 
be able to carry out God's mission. Unexpected heroes don't do it all themselves. They actually have other people that they look to that finds the kind of support that is required. For example, in this particular story we find Barak. He is the one he who is carrying out the military operation. He is the general. He does the battle. He rallies together the 10,000 troops. In fact, it was more than that when you read the rest uh, in chapter 5. There were more of the other tribes that gathered together. There might have been close to 30,000 people that he was ruling over. Unexpected heroes identify people like Barak and say, you are the one that I need. Now, Barak, what's interesting about Barak, as we saw, is that he says, I'm not going to go unless, Deborah, you go with me. I love this guy for that. I first, and my first inclination is this guy's a weak link. He can't go out there unless a woman's supporting him, which would have been maybe okay. But the more I think about what Barack was saying, he says, I won't go unless you go, Deborah. I really believe this man's saying, I don't want to go out there unless I have the voice of God through you to me. He wasn't hearing the voice of God, but Deborah was the voice of God to him. And that's why Deborah is so critical. And it shows me one thing that is required. Let me just do one little thing here. That for you and me, when we're going out there and we have to overcome something, it's a shame that there are so many of God's children and not God's children, believers and non-believers, that say, I'm just going to go out there and I can handle it myself. I don't need anyone else. This sort of a self-sufficiency and pride that uh, I referred to this a couple of weeks ago that sometimes happens in marriages and parenting and things like that where I don't need therapy. I don't need celebrate recovery. I don't need a small group. I don't need anyone else to help me kind of do what I'm supposed to do. I'm a loner. I'm just going to do it alone. God says, I never built you to work that way. You need others. You need to be in a life group. You need to sit in a counseling situation. You need to be in celebrate recovery. Depending upon what you need to overcome, we need people surrounding us. That's what I love about Deborah. Deborah says, I'm not going to go fight Sisera. I'm going to find the best person in the room who can help fight Sisera. I'd be a fool to go out there and put myself on the front of the military operation. I need someone that God has gifted to be the military leader. And so she chooses Barack. And Barack says, well, I can't do it alone either, Deborah. I need you. I need the voice of God. I can't go alone either. I love that spirit that says, I cannot handle this on my own. And I need the support of a church. I need the support of a life group. I need the support of a therapist. I need the support of a celibate recovery. I need the support of others to accomplish God's mission. Because I'm a fool if I think I can go it alone. And we constantly, I constantly hear about people who think that they can do it on their own. I can overcome alcohol on my own. I, I'm fine. I don't need, you know, hey, I don't need any. That's craziness. The great people of the Old Testament, like Deborah, a model to us, said, I can't do it alone. I need a Barak. Now, Barak, it's interesting to me. Barak is lifted in Hebrews 11 as one of the great men of faith. You know who's missing in Hebrews 11? Deborah. And so I'm exalting Deborah today. I'm not exactly the voice of God. But it's powerful to see how Barak only was successful because Deborah 
was by his side with the voice of God into his heart. And we're going to learn about one more woman when we get to it. Jael is this one last surprising little amazing story this little climax to the story that we want to get to as well. But that's why it talks a little bit later here. When Deborah says to Barak, this journey that you're on, on the journey that you are about to take for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. When you first read that in verse 9, you think it must be Deborah trying to take all the glory. It's not Deborah. There's another little woman that is going to come up in the storyline. Her name is Jael. God has His unexpected heroes, and it takes a whole team of people to do it. That's why here's a great picture. Remember this, the last time the Patriots played in the Super Bowl? I remember this play distinctly, watching this thing play out. This is the New York Giants playing against the, the uh, New England Patriots. And Patriots are undefeated this season in the Super Bowl. And they throw a pass, and this David Tyree... This is like two minutes left in the game. And Patriots are leading with two minutes or so in the game. And Eli Manning throws this pass, like 35-yard pass. Has no hope. And it comes to David Tyree. And he catches the ball. It's known as the helmet catch. He catches it on the top of his head. And I remember watching that play out. He just kept on it like it, it was glued there. I think we need to inspect that football to see if there might have been some glue on that football. You know? Because they have... Anyways. So, and he falls down and he holds that and they go on to win the Super Bowl as a result of that play. It was an upset. David Tyree, he had caught like four passes the entire year. He's on special teams. He wasn't expected to be the hero of the game. But he was this anonymous person that came out of nowhere, and there he was, and he caught it on his helmet, of all places. And he's become famous for that. You Google the helmet catch, and David Tyree pops up. You never know when God is going to use someone and when they're in the right place doing the right thing. He wasn't feeling sorry for himself on the bench saying, Lord, why don't you ever use me? I'm an NFL player. He says, you stick me in at the right time, the right place, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to do all that I can to help my team win. I love that spirit. And that's why I really believe New England's going to win today. Because Matthew Slater, Matthew Slater is, uh, is special teams. He's caught, what, four... He's only caught, what, two or four passes the entire year as well. Two passes. And, uh, and so I'm predicting that Matthew Slater is going to be the unexpected hero in today's game and that he's going to return a kickoff for a touchdown or he's going to receive a, a, a pass from Tom Brady and win the game. You heard it first here. Put your money on it. No, don't put your money on it. Put your money in the offering. Don't put your money on that. We love to see how God surprises us through unexpected heroes. And Deborah is one of those. But Deborah said, God, I'm your prophetess. I'm your judge. I'm your woman. But I can't do this alone. Let me get Barak. Who's your Barak? Who's the one that's going to come alongside and help you out? Who can you turn to that's going to be part of your team? that's going to make you successful in what God is helping you overcome. Thirdly, unexpected heroes, they work hard and they're dependent on God's power in their service. They cannot do it alone. They need one another. 
but they really need God's power. We need God's power. We cannot do this alone. Here are some applications that come out of this. I love this passage. Let me just throw some of these to you. That as you read through this, you say, God, how can I use this passage? What is applicable about this? Remember I said last week, in Scripture, when you read the Old Testament, there are temporary practices of how they did things there. None of us are going to battle tomorrow. None of us are fighting against 900 iron chariots tomorrow. We can't relate to that. So what's the timeless principle that comes out of the temporary practice? Just keep that little phrase, Roman, in your brain. When you read through the Old Testament, what's the timeless principle, Lord? Here are some timeless principles that I believe that comes out of this passage. You get a trust in God's power to overcome impossible obstacles. 900 iron chariots. That's the best made tank that we have today. That's what they had to defeat the enemy. And so Sisera called together all of his chariots, 900 iron chariots, and Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Can you imagine what's going through Barak's mind? He's looking at 900 iron chariots that has no hope in human ability to defeat, and Deborah is saying, It's your opportunity to defeat them. In the face of all that they're looking at, there was no hope, humanly speaking, that these men could possibly beat 900 chariots. And so you trust in the face of impossible obstacles that God's power is going to make this thing happen. Unexpected heroes really believe that God has the capacity to help us overcome what everybody else says is impossible. Secondly, the thing I noticed about this, and I love Charles Spurgeon's quote. Charles Spurgeon said about this, Give whatever tools you have to the Lord. Stand your ground courageously and trust God to use what's in your hand to accomplish great things for His glory. And that's Barak. He has to learn how to do that. Trust God for the unexpected provisions. Here's something that you don't read in Judges 4. And let me just point out that Judges chapter 5 is part of the story. Judges chapter 5 is actually Deborah's celebration, victory, song. It's like she's in the locker room after winning the Super Bowl and she's written the song and she begins to sing it. We're going to read all of Deborah's song in Judges 5. But in verse 21, we learn something that we didn't see in Judges 4 about how God was able to defeat Sisera and his 900 iron chariots. In verse 21, it says, well, let me back up to verse 20. The stars fought from heaven. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, O my soul, march on with strength. Then the horse's hoofbeats from the dashing, the dashing of his valiant steeds. What Deborah is chanting here in her song is this. They were probably battling between June and September. It's the non-rainy season. So Barak is battling Sisera. 900 iron chariots. What does God do according to Judges 5.21? Deborah is thanking God because he brought a torrential rainfall right in the middle of that valley where those iron chariots are. Well, what happens to an iron chariot when it gets into mud? It doesn't go anywhere. Suddenly what was an asset now becomes a liability. 
This is God's unexpected provision. That's why you constantly see in this passage, and the Lord routed them, and the Lord did this, and the Lord's power came upon them. God provided a supernatural rainstorm in the dry season of the year so that these iron chariots were a liability. God minimized their strength. That's what God loves to do. That's why it's 1 Corinthians. It talks about you and me. 1 Corinthians says that we are the foolish, we are the weak, so that we can be strong in God. And God takes the strength and the strong and He makes them weak so they realize that He is in power. People who are unexpected heroes are always operating on the basis that no matter who I am dealing with in their arrogance and their power and their strength, I know that God has a way to make it a liability so that His will can get done. I am never up against an obstacle because God has always had His surprise attack. They didn't know that God was going to bring a storm into them and God brought that victory because of that storm. And then I need to unite with God's people and I already have talked about that and so I won't go on to that. Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000, probably close to 30,000 when the mop-up came and he defeated him. And what I love about Barak is that he, ser- he persevered to the end. The Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and all of his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army. I love Barak because he says, I'm not done until the enemy's defeated. And for you and me, we're not done till the enemy is defeated. We're never done as believers in Jesus. We're always, whether in retirement or on the job or in school, we've always pursue and persevere to the very end. Now here's what I love, this last little story. The unexpected heroes that God brings up that we didn't know were going to be in play during the season. Well, this is what happens when Sisera fled on foot. This is an amazing little account. Verse 17. Now Sisera fled away on the foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber. Remember we met Heber back up there in verse 11. Well, she, he flay, flees to this tent of this wife of Heber, the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin and the king of Hazor and the house of Heber, the Kenite. He says, you're part of the people who are on my side. So he thought she was a friendly And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my master, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. And he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. So this guy's just been running miles and miles. He's been in a battle. His iron chariot's stuck in the mud. He has to flee on foot. He's exhausted. He is just out of energy. And she said in verse 19, he said to her, verse 19, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a bottle of milk, it might have been yogurt, and gave him a drink, and then she covered him. And he said to her, Stand in the doorway of the tent, and it shall be that if anyone comes and inquires of you and says, Is there anyone here? Then you shall say no. So she is to be his front man, protect him, be his security guard, if you will. But, this is an amazing little R-rated portion of this text. But Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and seized a hammer in her hand and went secretly to him and drove the peg into his temple and it went through into the ground for he was sound asleep and exhausted and oh by the way he died (laughs) most of us would die with a tent peg through the head into the ground 
And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. And he entered with her, and behold, Sisera was lying dead with a tent peg in his temple. So God subdued on that day Jabin the king of Canaan before the sons of Israel. And the hand of the sons of Israel pressed heavier and heavier upon Jabin the king of Canaan until they destroyed Jabin the king of Canaan. This is a fascinating little portion. What God is revealing is that we don't always have what it takes. We need others. Sisera is fleeing on foot. I mean, yeah, Sisera is fleeing on foot. Barak could have said, oh, well, someone else will get... I, I, don't, need, I don't need to bother with that. But God had Jael in place. The women were the ones who built the tents. In fact, it would have been something like this. She would have a hammer like this and would have had a tent peg. And the, and the women were always the ones who built the tents. And she, she was pretty handy at hammering pegs into the ground. I don't know if she's ever used a head uh, to uh, do that. In fact, I had thought about having a watermelon up here just to show you kind of... But I thought, it's Super Bowl. You don't want to see, you don't want to see that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but this is the application. Let me just cut to the chase. Whenever you think that, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this mess? How are you ever going to give me the total victory? Sister is on the run. I can't keep up with him. There's no way I can catch him. All he'll do is escape and rally some more troops, and we'll just keep on fighting. What am I going to do? And then suddenly God has this little woman, Jael, the wife of Heber, who's friendlies to the king Jabin of Canaan. And God says, okay, Jael, this is your chance to shine. And I don't know what got in her heart. I don't know if the Spirit of God did that. I don't know what caused her to do that. Because she was really on the friendly side. But she says, you know what? I'm going for it. What kind of courage does it take? I have no idea what it's like to put a peg through a person's skull. You know, as far as I know, I, I've never done that. And probably not, neither of you. But the courage to do that and be the hand of God to defeat the enemy. It's cruel. It's, oh, why shouldn't love and grace, forgive and all that. No, not when you're at war. And God says, I want you to root out the enemy because they undermine the faith of my people. And so the application is that God has unexpected heroes all around. And I never discount the fact that even if I can't do it, there is someone else who can. It's not dependent on me. It's what God does through the matrix of all of His people. He loves to bring victory to His cause. And He's simply seeking people like Deborah and Jael and Barak who say, together we will overcome all that God has called us to do. And so my invitation for you and for me is for us to collectively say we can't do it alone. But there will always be someone out there who comes alongside and does support. And I could tell you story after story of people out there sitting with you who are those people who step forward for such a time as this to supply that need, to care for that person, to come alongside. And I just don't want to, I don't want to pick anybody apart, 
but I could name names now of individuals that are sitting amongst us who are like JL, who are like Deborah, who are like Barack. And I want us to be part of that family that says, we want to come alongside one another. And I may be the unexpected hero that God wants to use if I am found faithful at my assignment, whatever it may be for me, like Deborah under the palm tree called Deborah. She just kept doing her job, and God mightily used her. He wants to use you and me as well. Let me pray. Father God, help us to be people like Deborah, like Barack, like Jael, each with their own assignment, each with their own unique courage, each with their own substantial faith, listening to you to carry out the assignment. Father, help us to be faithful like them, listening to your voice, responding with courage and boldness in what you've called us to do and how you've called us to live. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We'd like to receive communion at this time. And let me just show you something I think is kind of amazing about this particular chapter that relates to communion and relates to what we're about to do. There's a beautiful combination in this chapter. And this is so important. So much of this chapter we learn about Deborah, Barak, and then Jael and her very unusual response to Sisera. But you know what's so special about Deborah and Barak in particular? Is that they worked hard, they sweated, they prayed, they sought the voice of God, they traveled long distances, they were willing to stand before the enemy, they risked their lives, they were humanly strong and giving great effort. But you know what was also happening there? It was the power of God. He says, God did this. God did that. God routed the enemy. There's this beautiful combination of the power and divinity of God and then the humanity of man somehow combining together to accomplish His will. Now here's the beauty of that. Jesus Christ is a perfect combination of divinity, fully God, Humanity, fully man, he sweated, he cried, he became discouraged, he was despondent at some points when he prayed to God and he was grief-stricken over the loss of a loved one like Lazarus, but then saw the power of God to raise Lazarus from the dead. There was a perfect combination in Christ of divinity and humanity. And because of those two, we are now able to come before God and let God come in us, our humanness, and let His deity come inside of us in Christ. And we become in Christians, in Christ. We are the combination of God's power saving us and our humanity living it out by the power of the Spirit. Communion is that representative, the bread and the cup. The humanity of Christ, the cup, the blood of His deity that has been shed for us so we could be forgiven. Only a divine God can forgive us only a man could die on the cross to save us. And so we come before the Lord receiving the bread first. And I invite the bread to come and be passed and pray over that so that we can remember the flesh of Christ, but then followed by the deity of Christ and His forgiveness as represented through His blood. So let me pray for this bread and thank God for the humanness of Christ and His flesh for us. Father God, thank You for Your gift to us in Jesus Christ. And that He was willing to come to human earth and reveal to us who You are as God. 
and that human flesh to suffer, to bleed, to cry, so He can sympathize with us today. Father, in this piece of bread, we remember His sacrifice for us. And we thank You for it as we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.